0: Welcome back to the Arkansas Children's Live, Learn, and Play podcast. Here you'll hear the stories of the people, places, and programs of Arkansas Children's. Today we're wrapping up Childhood Cancer Awareness Month with a conversation with another teenage survivor of childhood cancer. Her name is Alex Heiderman, and I have to say this one got personal for me because she is one of my daughter's good friends. Her story is inspiring, and her outlook on life will make you smile. Now here's Alex. Welcome to the Arkansas Children's Live, Learn, and Play podcast, where we tell you the stories of the people, places, and programs of Arkansas Children's. Today, it is my pleasure to have a young woman here, Alex Heinerman, and she is Well, I'll let her tell you. Tell me, tell everybody how old you are, where you're from, and where you go to school. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm 16 years old, and I go to Little Rock Central High School. That's great. Thank you. And uh, we are here and we're going to talk about something that can often be a little bit difficult. Uh, We're going to talk about childhood cancer. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and we have uh, several podcasts debuting this month about families that have been touched by this disease. So we're diving into the realities of what this really looks like and it's an unfortunate treat. I'll say that. I'm fortunate to have Alex here, but unfortunately she has a cancer story to share. So Alex, let's go back to when did you start feeling, when did you start having symptoms? When did you start feeling bad?
1: I never actually had symptoms. I had stage 2A. So it was the side of Hodgkin's lymphoma where you have no symptoms leading up to your diagnosis. Um, I was riding in the car one day with my mom, and I found a lump on my neck. I was about to go to the beach with my friend, so she said, just tell me about it, if it's still there when you get home, and we'll go have it checked out. When I got home, I didn't mention it. I don't. It kind of just left my head. I didn't think about it, but I still knew it was there. Um, and then around August, I told her it was still there. and. She took me to the doctor, they asked me if I had got scratched by a cat or had some sort of throat infection recently that could have caused the swollen lymph nodes, but I did not. And they sent me home saying it was probably just a swollen lymph node that people get because sometimes you can just have them for your entire life. And we went home and then a few weeks later I noticed it had started to grow and there were more lymph nodes swollen and they were going towards the back of my neck as well. And I told my mom and she brought us back to the doctor and they, as soon as they heard that it was growing, they said, we need an ultrasound. So we got the ultrasound and they said everything was perfectly fine. I was walking to the car with my mom and I said, no more doctor's appointments. It's all over. Cause we had been going to the doctor so much about this lump in my neck. And I was like, it's all over. We don't have to worry about it anymore. It's all good. And then about a week later, no, not a week later, but probably a few days later. Um, my doctor called my mom the night that I left for New York with my friend, again, another trip. And they told her that they had misread it and it was something we needed to look at and something I needed to get a biopsy done on. So I my mom called me and I could tell something was up. I didn't really know what, but I knew something was up. And I asked her, I was like, is there something you are not telling me? regarding my neck. And she said, yes, they say that they may see something and we need to have a biopsy done when you get home. I was really glad she told me because I would have been very upset had I got home and realized two days later I had to have a surgery. So I was very glad I knew. And then I went into the surgery, came out and the next day, me and mom were lying in bed and we got a call from my doctor saying that it was indeed Hodgkin's lymphoma, and we after that we kind of just started talking more about what needed to happen next Um, on december 6th it was around the 6th or the 7th i got my port put in and on the 11th i started my chemo when i before i went into it i didn't know what to expect you never do i before i got diagnosed you always think like this is never going to happen to me like that happens to people other people just not me you just never think of it that way and then I I cried when I found out but I was also I didn't I wasn't scared for my life I knew somehow that this wasn't going to be what killed me um whether that was because it was one of the easier cancers to beat or because I just knew I was going to beat it I don't know but I just knew that it I wasn't scared about dying um and then I started my chemo and the first round I did pretty good. It was perfectly fine. I had some nausea and the normal things, being tired. And then the second round was when it started to get worse. That's around the time my hair started to fall out. And that was in middle of December. 11th through the 13th was my first round. So probably around Christmas, my hair started to fall out. And at first I was, I didn't really know, I was like, mom is this just normal shedding that happens or is it or is it starting to happen and at first she was like I think it's just normal shedding and then I started to brush my hair and she was like this is not normal shedding and the next day I had a family dinner and I was brushing my hair after the shower and it started to come out bad and that night after we got home is when I had my breakdown and I had told my best friend Ainsley I was like I want you to be here when we shave it off. So I called her and I was like, can you please come down here? But she couldn't. So I I did it that night without her, but it was very, that was probably one of the most traumatizing things is losing the hair. Because, and I I truly don't understand how people wait. It was more depressing for me to watch it fall out than to just shave it off. I just wanted it gone. And, um, like, afterwards, I was, like, just kept my hat on. I didn't, like, if I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize myself because I have very dark features. And when I lost my hair and then over time I started to lose my eyebrows and stuff, it was just all my dark features were gone. So I didn't look like myself, especially looking back. And after a little bit, I started to get more used to it, but I still would rather have a black hat that I kept on throughout all of it. It was a black CC hat with a little ball on top, and I identified that as my hair. It was dark, and I had it on every day. People knew to expect me in that hat like they would expect to see someone with their hair. And for those three or so months, I just always had that on my head. And that was one of the things, like if I didn't have like a dark Hat to keep the dark features, I feel like losing my hair would have been a lot worse. Because anytime I put on another hat, I just didn't feel as confident. And, but the hat was ratty, especially by the end of it, but I just always liked that hat the best.
0: Let's go back to the moment uh, that you get the phone call. So you, and, you and your mom are laying in bed, right? And you hear, your mom takes the call, I would assume, um what what was that moment like for the two of you For her
1: she was freaking out I was crying but at the same time I was almost expecting it I was like okay if they pulled me here for this biopsy like I'm I was already kind of in that mindset that we were going to get the worst out of the two results But obviously I was still Upset and I was crying. And I called the first person I called was my best friend Ainsley, and she called my sister. And I was talking to her, it was harder, and listening to her reaction was really hard, especially at first, she was at school. And so she ran down and to Miss Hornsby's classroom and she cried in the closet. And so hearing that was hard for me, and a lot of my friends' reactions. But hearing it, I was, I was ready to hear it.
0: You weren't surprised. Something was telling you. Yeah.
1: And I've talked to a, another young childhood cancer survivor, soon-to-be survivor, and she said, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I got diagnosed, I was immediately at peace with it. So I think that's
0: more common than expected, mm-hmm. but I can't explain why. What did you, um, how many days did you have to spend inpatient? What was your treatment like?
1: My treatment was I had a 28-day round. I went through four rounds, and the first three days I went inpatient. And then on the eighth day of the round, I would go back for outpatient. So in total, I probably spent 12 days inpatient getting chemo. Right. But at the end, I got diagnosed with typhalitis. What on earth is that? (laughs) Typhalitis is when you go neutropenic, and the... Bacteria that's just always in your bowels, like, overproduces. Okay. And I, they had to put me, it was anytime I ate or drank anything, I would get really, like, 10 times worse than cramps. Um, just very bad pains in my lower abdomen. And they had to put me on bowel rest. They said I couldn't eat or drink anything because if I were to do that, it trying to digest it would cause a hole to form into my stomach, and I'd have to go into emergency surgery. Oh my! And that was the time that I was in the hospital for the longest. It wasn't even for chemo. That was my first blood transplant. That was just everything kind of really hit hard at the very end of my treatment when I thought everything was supposed to be over.
0: So while you're in the hospital, while you're an in inpatient, let's talk for a minute about the doctors and the nurses who took such good care of you. Um, What do you have to say to them or about them? First of all, my doctor, Dr. Becton, he's the
1: best, the best doctor I've ever had or come into ever encountered. He is, he makes every patient feel like they're the most important patient ever, ever. No matter who it is, he will always, no matter, he says anything exactly the way you need to hear it or would want to hear it and I think that's why another reason he's so good at his job and what he does um and the nurses they're what inspired me to want to become a nurse they when I went inpatient I didn't feel as sad because like I knew like every day I'd have the nurses who were basically my friends at this point come in and visit me but they would really just be switching out my chemo bags and but Knowing that they had that type of impact on kids going in there for such a bad thing, that's what made me say I want Because I want to work on
0: the 4K unit here, and that's why. In visiting with Caden Peoples, uh In a previous podcast, she is in school studying to be a child life specialist for the exact same reason because she had such a wonderful experience with pet therapy and art therapy and music therapy while she was here battling cancer so it's interesting the impact uh a children's hospital can have, and the people who who work on it they don't just they don't just make you better they inspire you
1: yeah I had no idea and if you were to ask me if i wanted to be a nurse before all this i would have been like
0: too much school there's no
1: reason for that but afterwards it seemed like not as big of a deal it was more i got more out of it than i had to give in the long run and i'm very excited that's wonderful that's great
0: no wonder you're taking two sciences <laughs> i'm taking it? anatomy and physiology just for that that's good good for you um did you, were you able to kind of come and go from your room when you were inpatient? Did you develop any friendships with any of the other patients who were on 4K? I was able to go in and out of my room,
1: obviously. They have the thing where you can go and play video games and stuff, but I never did. I, like every once in a while, they would say like, you should take a walk. So I went and I took a walk just to keep my strength up. But other than that, I just stayed in bed and hung out with my parents and the nurses. There were there was one relationship that I made on that floor, and it wasn't. I met him one time. His name was Keegan. And he, I was sitting in my room and I heard a little kid laughing, and he was next door. This was my first treatment ever. And I was like, I like hearing that on this type of floor. Like, there are kids still truly happy. It, this doesn't take that away. And then I, had a bunch of balloons and I didn't need all of them so she was my mom was like do you want to bring him to someone else like here just to kind of like bring their spirits up a little bit so we walked to Keegan's room and I met him for the first time and he was just so happy and sweet and just filled with pure joy when really people would think he would be sad and hurt and just the opposite of what his personality was yeah he and was that a was really re- neat kid really inspiring to yeah. me yeah he's that he went through it for so long right and it's still that bright of a light even after he's gone he's still yeah. everywhere
0: and you mentioned his laugh and that's one of the things that I can remember too oh my gosh he was such a stinker and that laugh was so precious so yeah he inspired a lot of people. He really did. I'm Especially a lot of people on that floor. On that floor, yeah. It's always um, so heartwarming to me to hear those stories of just those, uh, the the ways that lives are touched.
1: He just had this spirit about him. He didn't even have to say anything. He just whispered a few things to me, just yeah. joking around. It was just his presence and his happiness while even while he was there, and it just, he didn't have to say anything for you to just know and
0: for you to be inspired by him. So uh, tell us about your prognosis now. Where are you? You have, are you all clear or do you have some more scans to go? The cancer was
1: gone after my second round, but I continued to do all four rounds just to make sure everything was really out of there. And then I rang the bell and I had my first scan and all clear, and then we're about to go for my second one in September.
0: Good. Second three months. Great. Then we will go to six months. Um, What are some things? Let's talk for a minute. Um, I know you have such a great group of girlfriends. You've mentioned your best friend Ainsley a couple of times. Um, Is there anything that you, any advice that you would give to a child or a teenager who's been newly diagnosed um, about those relationships or about those friendships, something that you would... um, would want anything that you would want to say to a kid with a new diagnosis or to the friends of a kid with a new diagnosis? To the
1: kid with a new diagnosis, I would say expect for some relations to change, not drastically, just some people, everybody's different, and some people may be a little scared of the idea of cancer. So they may back away a little bit, and that's normal. It's nothing about you, it's nothing at all about that, it's only because it scares them. And I had a few friends that that happened with, no hard feelings, Um, but then there were also friends that I didn't seem as close with until I got diagnosed. And it was more of like a wake up call for them. So it, it varies in each person. You may become really close with people you were never close with before, Or lose a few people that you've been close with for a while it it happens but as long as you're going through and you have a support system it's all it's all you need and to the kids who know someone who's gotten diagnosed i would say if you can help it don't treat them any differently but also give them time to talk about it because some people will some people won't But just ask them if they want to, because sometimes it helps. Um, But also, like, again, if you can help it, try not to be afraid of it, because you have no idea how afraid they are. And I don't know. It just seems unfair that they can back away in some way. But I also understand they have no idea but so it may seem to you if you're diagnosed that it's unfair but you have no idea how they think about you they have no idea what you're going through they don't know
0: it's that unfair they're just living their lives that's really great advice I hope everyone will take it to heart. Thank you so much for sharing and thank, thank you. you for being so willing to talk about your experience. Of course. You no, know, it's been a long day for you. You've been out promoting the superhero dash and bash, yes. I think. So wonderful. We really appreciate you being a voice for the families at Arkansas Children. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much, Alex, for giving your time and having this conversation with me. I hope you all loved that story as much as I do. Tune in next time for the Arkansas Children's Live, Learn, and Play podcast. We'll tell you more stories about the people, places, and programs of Arkansas Children's. In the meantime, please give us a like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you download your content. And... If you're feeling as moved by these stories of childhood cancer survivors as we are, please consider giving a gift. You can always give online. Any amount makes a huge difference in the life of a child. You can give online today at giving.archildrens.org.